one of the elders here at Redeemer Church. So pleased to be with you. The scripture reading that Pastor Ross will be using this morning is found in Romans. Um, we're continuing in chapter 8. And there's only two verses, 26-27. Romans 8, 26-27. Here at Redeemer, it's our, um, it's our tradition to stand in the honor of God's Word being read, so if you wouldn't mind, please stand if you're physically able. Romans 8, 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Please be seated. You know, it seems like uh, our uh, supplies are getting back in stock in the stores. Um, no more toilet paper uh, crises, I hope, in this country. But one thing that's kind of short stock in this country right now is hope. Uh, people often, often feel hopeless and depressed, and it's, it's not a happy time for an awful lot of people. I just want to encourage us that are Christians, for us, we should, we should keep in mind that our Savior, before he went to die, didn't think of himself. How much is it going to hurt? When's this going to end? What are they going to do? Father, I pray for them. I pray that they would love one another. I pray that they would care for one another. I pray that the world would see that they love each other and that they be sanctified in you, Father. That's what he thought about. He thought about us. So let's use that idea this week and maybe build some hope inventory in our culture around us. Father, we are amazed at your lavish love upon us, how much you care about each of your children, and how even when knowing he was about to suffer and die, Jesus was thinking of us and our sanctification and of our, of our unification together. Because he died and rose and tore the veil, we in his name we have confidence to enter the holy place by his blood sacrifice, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, even when we are faithless, for he cannot deny himself. We lift up to you. Or even, you know, prayers about, you know, whether to vote for this person or that person or bring that outcome out or not in the election. It says we don't know what to pray for as we ought, which means we don't know the proper way to pray for some situations or what outcome to ask God for. You know, Paul had this in his own life. If you think about 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul tells his, his church, 
I prayed multiple times that God would remove this thorn in my flesh, this kind of metaphorical thorn in my flesh. And after multiple times, Jesus replies and says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And he, he, he allowed that thorn in his flesh to remain. And, and also in Philippians, Paul is wrestling with this tension. He's in prison and on death row for his preaching of the gospel. And he's writing to the Philippians saying, I'm torn. Part of me wants to go and be with Christ, but, but another part of me wants to stay and, and continue spreading the gospel. These are some of the, the difficult dynamics of prayer. And it's, it's no wonder one well-known pastor in his book on prayer, he argues that prayer must be one of the hardest things in the world. But it's also one of the most rewarding. And I want you to realize what Paul is implying here. Our prayers matter a lot to God. You know, if there is a, if there is a passage that specifically addresses the content of our prayers to God, even in the most unclear moments of life, times where we don't know exactly how to pray, that must mean that God is listening very closely to our prayers. And, as we will see in a moment, he is using them as broken, misdirected, or unclear as they may be. It's kind of like if you imagine a CEO of a business and he's given advice on a project from you know, a summer data entry intern. And that advice is kind of jumbled and disorganized. But instead of just dismissing that away or, or throwing it away, he listens to it with care and finds a way to fit it into his larger plan in an effective way. And, I, and I, as we continue in this passage, I think that will become more clear. So in our weakness, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but Paul continues. He doesn't stop there. He says, but the Spirit. And that's where he talks about the help that we have in that struggle. Paul shows us that we have the ultimate prayer partner. He begins, likewise, the Spirit helps us. What does he mean by likewise? Like what, Paul? What are you comparing this to? Well, there's a lot of different things in the chapter of Romans 8 that he could be referring to. But notice, as we've been going through this chapter, Paul has been talking a lot about the Spirit. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit helps us kill sin. It helps us understand our adoption. And his presence is like the first fruits of the new creation, as Dan showed us last week. So Paul is kind of saying here, here's another way the Spirit helps us. You want to see what else this thing can do? And so the Spirit helps us. And that, that's an interesting word in the original language. In English, it's, it's five letters, helps. But the Greek word that it's interpreting is 17 letters. Soon antilambanatai. And that's three words combined together. Soon, which means with or together with. Anti, which means for or in the place of. And then the main verb is lambano, which means take or bear up. So it reminds me of the word Jesus uses in the Gospels to talk about the Spirit, that he's the paraclete, the one called alongside another, a helper and a comforter. So it's this picture of someone coming alongside us to kind of help carry a heavy load. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How specifically does he help us? Paul says he intercedes for us. Now that sounds pretty familiar, right? We've learned elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus also intercedes for us. Actually, later in Romans 8, it will talk about Jesus interceding for us. So Jesus 
in the Bible, in Hebrews, it talks about how he pleads our case. Even though we are unrighteous, Jesus pleads our righteousness in him to the Father perfectly. Now we see the Holy Spirit also intercedes for us in our prayers. So imagine next time, God forbid, you need a lawyer for something, and you call the best one in town, and he eventually agrees to help you for free, and then he throws in there, hey, by the way, my partner, who's just as skilled and experienced as me, he's going to join in on the case as well and work just as hard and as long with me for you. You'd probably feel pretty good about your, your situation in that moment. We have, the, we have the Son and the Spirit, the Bible says, interceding on our behalf. And that word intercedes, it's, it's different than the idea of just interpreting. It's not just that, you know, we have a mumbled-jumbled prayer and the Spirit kind of helps make it, you know, shows what it means. He's not just telling God what we're saying. No, he's actually got something that he's trying to accomplish with our prayers. There's something he's doing. He's making them more effective and bringing about something. I hesitate to use this illustration, but it's also kind of like a lobbyist, albeit a pure and upright one. But it's kind of like a lobbyist. Whereas Jesus is kind of like a lawyer pleading our case and interceding for our righteousness before the throne, the Holy Spirit, like a lobbyist, is interceding to get something accomplished in God's economy. And so this text, it gives us kind of two deeper descriptions of what the Holy Spirit's intercession entails. One of the first things you see is that it's, it's a compassionate interceding. It's full of compassion. It says that the Spirit groans. Look at verse 26. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Some think there that the groans that it's referring to are actually the believer's groans that had been mentioned earlier and that it's just the Holy Spirit is kind of moving us to groan in that way. And I don't have time to get all into this, but I don't think that's right. I think it's pretty clear that it is actually the Holy Spirit that Paul is saying is doing the groaning in this moment. But what does that mean? Unfortunately, this is the only place in the Bible where it talks about the Spirit in this way. So it is a little complicated, but it says, with groanings too deep for words. That literally means we can't hear it. You know, we might feel the Spirit doing this in us, but we can't hear it. We, it's, we don't hear any words that he's saying. But it also means it involves empathy. There's an empathy that the Spirit has for us. You know, we've already seen from last week, creation is groaning about the brokenness of this world. And we ourselves, as God's children, we are groaning about the brokenness of this world. So it's not far-fetched to say that the Spirit here is also groaning with us about the brokenness of this world. You know, when we look at Hebrews, we see Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness. And, and I think that the Spirit is very similar in that attitude. So it's empathy, but it's also passion. His groanings like this, are it shows passion. You know, what did the word groaning mean in the previous text? It was in connection to the pains of childbirth, the cries of agony. When the Spirit helps bring our prayers to the Father, he does it with the deep cries of a mother giving birth. So if you, like me, have ever been discouraged that your prayers lack fervency and urgency, what an encouragement it is in this passage to see that the Spirit joins with our prayers to help them touch the heart of the Father. 
So this is the, this is the kind of intercessor we have. But we, at the end of the day, we don't just want an advocate with lots of heart. That's important, but they also need to have a sharp mind. They need to be effective. And that's the other aspect of the Spirit's intercession is it is effective. Look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What does that mean? It says, he who searches heart. Who is that? That's referring to God. The Bible says that God is the only one who can search hearts. So God searches our hearts. And what is one of the things the Bible says is in our hearts as God's children? We've seen already in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit. So when God searches our hearts, one of the things he finds there is the Holy Spirit interceding for us. And the Spirit is interceding for us according to God's will. And this is an important point that Paul makes. This means that he takes our prayers to God, especially when we don't know what to pray, but we pray anyways, or we pray for things that maybe aren't best for us, and brings them to God in a way that gets at the heart of what we're really asking and of our, of our requests, and it makes it so that it brings about God's will in that situation. It's as if we prayed perfectly in line with God's will through the Spirit's help. So if you've ever been discouraged and about your you know, potential incompetence in prayer, what a, what a neat idea that we could all say, in a sense, that we are all expert prayers with the Spirit's help. You know, maybe you're praying for your friend Johnny to get better. This passage shows us that the Holy Spirit takes that prayer and enhances it. He, he, he feels the pain with you in the groaning and, and passionately brings it before the Father. And the Spirit knows what is best for your friend and asks and takes it and makes it in accordance with God's will. But at the end of the day, it was still your prayer that brought about what was best for your friend. Which is an a helpful point that leads me to kind of make a quick aside. You know, you might ask, why pray at all then? You know, if, if the Holy Spirit seems to be doing all the work, you know, why pray? And this is kind of a sermon in itself, if I were to fully address it. But notice the text says the Holy Spirit helps us. It's not saying the Holy Spirit's doing all the work. It's saying it's coming alongside of us in this endeavor. And it's, you know, again, I've said it already, we're not talking about all of our prayers here. There are plenty of ways the Bible does teach us what to pray for and how to pray. And Jesus, what does he say about prayer? You know, he gives parables that we would always pray and not lose heart. He has some parables that he gives to that end, that we would always pray and not lose heart. And one author says that the call to persist in prayer is not for God's sake, but it's for ours to train and purify our desires. If we really think about it, the more we engage with prayer, we realize how much it changes us to engage deeply in prayer. So no matter how the Holy Spirit intercedes for our prayers, it is still our prayer that has affected God's will. And so, you know, as we're on the topic of the relationship of God's will and our prayers, it, it also brings up, you know, one of the many hard things about prayer and where our weakness really comes out. If prayer is a way we make God's will happen, we have to recognize we don't always like God's will. We don't always like what he has in store. You know, maybe we're praying for our presentation 
to go well and it doesn't, but God uses that. Maybe we're praying for healing and God doesn't bring it, but in his own wisdom, he brings much glory to himself through that. It reminds me of something Paul Miller said in his book on prayer. It's a profound statement, but it's also very hard to swallow. He says, at the center of self-will is me, carving the world in my own image. At the center of prayer is God, carving me in his son's image. Man, that is profound. How like our God, the same God who meets us in the desperation and weakness of our sin at the cross, meets us in the weakness of our prayers on our knees. It's called the, this, this Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ in the Bible. So we can see the Spirit in us is Christ still meeting us in our need and in our weakness. Friends, we do not deserve this. But that's what makes it grace, isn't it? What a great grace that God helps us in this way. So, taking a step back again, you know, what is... What might look different about us in the days to come if we truly believed the message of these verses? What might be different about us? I think we have to say there's, that it should help us have more confidence in our praying. Brian Chappell, he says this, commenting on these very verses. No force in this world can compare with the power of the Spirit channeled through Christians when they pray. No power in the world can compare to that. Now, if that does not encourage you in your prayer life, I don't know what does. What an inspiration. So friends, what are, what are the sticky or, or unclear areas of your life right now? And what has it been like for you to pray about those areas? Pray boldly, my friends. Pour your heart out to God. Know that the Spirit is right there with you, groaning with you, and passionately bringing it to the Father and enhancing the prayer all the more to God. So confidence. I think what this, these verses can also build in us is dependence. Obviously, it's mentioning our weakness that we have in these things. That weakness comes out in all different ways. It comes out in our prayer life, though, too. We, we long to be people of prayer and consistently praying. But one author, he, he, he says, you don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in spirit. I thought that was really interesting. Of course, self-discipline is important and helpful, but he goes beneath that. Even more important than that is to be poor in spirit, to know your need that will naturally deepen and increase your prayer life. And I think this passage is leading us to a deeper dependence. And finally, I would say that this passage practically applies to us in that it should give us humility in the gray areas of life. And you think about there's some areas that are black and white, but other areas that are gray and less clear. And, you know, we can, we can struggle in those areas. You know, right now, there's three very prime examples. You know, how to, how to, how to understand and approach all of this coronavirus uh, that's going on. How to 
navigate some things going on socially, like racial tension, how to um, think about um, you know, politics and then the election coming up. There's so many areas where we're trying to uh, be as faithful as we can and follow God's will. And sometimes in our weakness, we, we get the sense that we know the right position, that we know the right thing to do. Um, and we give lots of thought to it. But this passage reminds us that we need help in that area. We don't always know what the best thing to pray for, what outcome to pray for, and we need the Spirit's help to, to get deeper, to go deeper to God's will. And this should give us gentleness you know, towards a brother or sister in Christ who maybe feels God's will is different and is praying for a different outcome than you in a certain area. So the humility of that. Friends, the, the spirit, we, we struggle. Prayer is difficult. We don't always know what to pray, but, but Paul and, and ultimately the, the word of God teaches us that we have the help of the Holy Spirit. I've heard it said that uh, the Holy Spirit living inside of us is kind of like putting a Ferrari engine inside of a mosquito. And I think as we've been unpacking Romans 8 more and more, I think that's beginning to become, make more sense to me, and I'm, I'm starting to see that more, of just the power we have of the Spirit in us. So let's live into that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much that though we are weak, you are oh so strong. And Lord, we, we don't like to admit our weakness. We don't like to embrace that. We especially live in a society that praises the strong. So Lord, would you remind us again this morning from this passage and through your spirit that we are a dependent people, but that we have a very strong God. And we thank you for that grace and that gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.